Hey everybody, welcome back to the Satsung Podcast. Today uh, we have one of uh, my favorite dudes that I've met this year, Chris Shiflett. Um, you guys know Chris as the guitar player from the Foo Fighters. Um, I'm really into his solo stuff. Uh, he's made some phenomenal records. He has two really great releases out. Um, but yeah, I was on his podcast, um, which is fairly well known, and I... Um, Wanted to have him on mine because I really enjoy talking to him. Talk a lot about guitar tones and just music in general and what it's like to tour and what it's like to have a family and tour. Um, but yeah, hope you guys dig this. And uh, yeah, without further ado, here's Chris Shiflett. Chris Shiflett, welcome to the Satsung Podcast, dude. Thanks for having me, buddy. I, uh, I couldn't help but notice uh, you got a little shiner there, man. Yeah, you get, dude. You getting a little scuffle taking out the trash? What what happened? <laughs> I actually um I broke my nose uh last Friday, a week from last Friday. Um shit. Yeah, we had we had sparring. We have a bunch of our pro guys getting ready for fights. Oh wow. Um and I'm gonna start cornering with our coach. So like I gotta get in there in the mix so they can be like, right. all right, he's legit. I'll take advice from him if I'm fighting. Yeah. Um and uh and this dude threw a head kick a couple times, and then the third time he threw it, I was like, oh, I'm going to duck under it right? and tag him. But I ducked right into it because he went body, and his shin just uh, got me right on the ouch. nose. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, is it, I would imagine it's probably a similar dynamic in, um, in MMA as it is with boxing. I remember in my younger years when I used to you know, go to the gym a lot, and there, you know, the, the, I worked out at gyms that had a lot of pros. And, um, and would wind up sparring with some of those guys from time to time. And I always enjoyed sparring with those guys more than sparring with other like hobby boxers, like what I was. Yes. More often than not, the pros didn't just beat the hell out of you for the sake of beating the hell out of you. They would, they would sort of know that you weren't anywhere <laughs> near their mm -hmm. level. And maybe they're working on like just one thing and maybe they're just trying to break a sweat or whatever. But like it's, you get in there with the, with the other hobby boxers and they're the ones that want to <laughs> fucking take your head off, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, um, I've been training for long enough now and I've, and I just, I spar with all those guys all the time, but yeah, there's definitely a hundred percent truth to what you're saying. There's also a level of like, um, where I feel like, pros know this control right where they're like okay i have a fight coming up so i don't want to get cut right you know right. so it's like i'm gonna hit you as hard as i want to be hit right right right, you know? right, right where yeah. like the other guys are always trying to prove something but i yeah. i have i have fun with them too but i gotta quit getting my getting hit in the head so much it's not yeah. good. so tell me about that because i mean yeah shit let's just start there so you yeah the boxing huh do you still train i mean i did sporadically up until covid um you know someday i will train again um i really miss it um i i it's funny you talk about that i gotta step quit getting hit in the head because i felt like that too because you know you hang around a boxing gym long enough you just you take a lot of headshots and i think about that like you know i don't want to be 70 and drooling and not know who i am and all that sort of thing so I'll tell you what my trainer uh what what i do with my current trainer a lot when i am in the gym we do shoulder body sparring. It's just sparring, but you just don't hit the other guy in the face. And yep. it's like, it's still super intense. It's still a really good workout. It's, it's, it's harder in some ways, because I think throwing to the body is just harder, in my opinion. Um, uh, and, 
and but it's but it's good and you don't walk out of there seeing double with a headache all day yeah we do a lot of um where like when we throw body shots we throw it like 70 80 percent head shots are like 30 to 50 right we're never trying to knock each other out but they're like like what happened to me man there's these freak accidents where it's like even if you're yeah. throwing your leg at 50 percent if it hits a head, it's still a problem. You know? Well, yeah, and, and plus, like, you know, a, a sparring in the gym isn't a fight, you know, mm -hmm. because, it, and so what happens in the gym, I think a lot is, because I'm a little, you know, I'm, I'm not a big guy. I'm like a, a buck 45 and like five seven. And so I wind up sparring with guys that outweigh me quite a bit. And like a guy that's 180 pounds, his 30%, it still fucking hurts, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a, yeah. I'm a little old man, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. The guy the guy that kicked me was like 230, 240 right now. Right. And right after he was like, dude, I barely even threw it. And I was like, but my nose is crooked and it's broken. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. 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 Oh man. Well, that's yeah, that's sweet that you train, man. It's such a good workout. I think the thing with boxing that's scary as far as the head stuff goes is like there's a lot less head trauma in MMA because there's right you have the grab the other stuff you have, yeah, yeah you have leg kicks you have like you have all these different facets to the game where i've always said with boxing like you know when they stop an mma fight especially amateur fights the second somebody quits intelligently defending themselves meaning right. even if they turtle up that's the end yeah. of the fight yeah yeah where with boxing dude someone can get hit so hard their body shuts down but if they can get up within that 10 seconds and look at the ref and pull on his hands and give him the nod. They're like, all right, yeah, go again. You know, it's like, so yeah, like you no, just it's, it's if you look at professional boxing and like ring deaths and people who have been seriously damaged, oftentimes that stuff happens in it's, it's when somebody's fighting a guy that can't really, that doesn't have knockout power, mm -hmm. you know, so let's say it's a pressure fighter who doesn't have knockout power and he just batters some dude for 12 rounds. That's a lot more damaging than one big hard, you know, Mike Tyson shot that just. You're yeah, out. you're right. I feel you know like I most, mean? most of the dudes that died were always those like that, like 25 to 55 range of like. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting. It's like not, um, it's sort of not what you would think. You would think the guy that's the murderous puncher would be, and I, you know, and I'm, and I'm sure that's not doing your brain any favors either. Like, like no. but, you know, <laughs> no, no. Um, but, uh, but yeah, man, it's those, it's those feather fisted pressure fighters you got to watch out for. You know? Absolutely. All right, dude, let's dive into some music. So, yeah. um, after I was on your podcast, like obviously everyone knows who the Foo Fighters are and you know, I've listened to the Foo Fighters on and off for years. Especially um, this week, everybody knows who the Foo Fighters are. Dude, I, I listen, no shit. Yeah. Congrats yeah. on the, on the release. I just listened to the album this morning. Um, oh, thank you. But after our podcast, um, I really dug into your solo stuff, man. And I really, really dig it. Oh, thank um, you. And, um, th there's like, um, what it reminded me of, I feel good about this. I, I, I pride myself on being able to uh, um, explain music by referencing two things. It's sure. like if Social Distortion made country records. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, literally, that's what it's like. Cause that's like, those are like two of my biggest influences right there. You know what I mean? Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think, I think Social Distortion to me, like they're, they're like Mike Ness is like, he is, is obviously carved out this kind of unique, uh niche space in punk rock you know that he's sort of his own thing within it but i think you could really credit him for introducing a lot of people in the punk rock world 
to to you know roots music in general you know country blues you know, some of the older stuff that came before punk rock yeah i agree like um you know back in my drinking day is one of my favorite like day drinking songs was ball and chain mm-hmm. and it's just like when you listen to that song it's just like oh this is like if Bob Dylan was born in a different era. You know, it's yeah. a very, it's very, it's a folk song. It's a folk yeah. song played on an electric guitar. Totally. And you see that in like, you know, he covered a Bob Dylan song, you know, it's on one of those solo records and, um, or, you know, he, they even w- would cover like old honky tonk songs. Making believe yep. that you still love me and you know, all that stuff. Yep. Like, I mean, that's the first place I heard some of that stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. So how did you get into country? Has it always been something that you dug or like? It was, it has been for a while. I wouldn't say always, but I mean, really like, um, I, I always tell the story, like the singer for no use for a name, Tony Sly was the guy that really turned me on to like what was at that time called alt country and Mm -hmm. would now be classified as Americana. Um, but you know, all the bands, like that was the nineties. So all the stuff that was kicking off in the nineties was like the first Sunvolt record, the first Wilco record, you know, coming out of uncle Tupelo and whiskey town and, and all that stuff, you know, like um, he really turned me onto that. And then like any obsessive music fan, I just, you know, nah, I really love the way that sounds. What's what's that guy listening to? You yep. know? Yeah. Yeah. So. To, to me, that's like one of the coolest things about um, some of the new newer streaming platforms that have come along, like obviously Pandora. But even um, the way Spotify will just like tell you, like oh, other shit you might like. And then you're like, right, oh, I've never heard right. of that. And then you click on it and you're like, wow, this is my new favorite band. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, one of my favorite moments as far in the article hasn't been released yet, but uh, an article that got written about our new record, um, someone referenced it sounding like early Uncle Tupelo. And I was just like, fuck, yeah. man, that yeah. just makes me so happy. Like that's totally. even in the conversation, you know? Totally. It's always great when somebody writes a review of your band and actually without prompting pulls out an actual like influence like that maybe yes. you haven't talked about or something. You know what I mean? Like, I, yep. I love that. That's like one of those things where you're like, I wish that person could write all our reviews. <laughs> totally. Know? Yeah. Cause so yeah. many of them you're like, yeah, this guy clearly listened to 15 seconds of every song, you know, right. as right. opposed to like, yeah. wow, this guy really dug into the record and like yeah. picked it yeah, apart. Yeah. Totally. Um, so I want to talk about guitar tone with you. Um, yeah. Cause on your, obviously you're a guitar player uh, for the Foo Fighters. So it's a big part of your life. Um, sure. The guitar tones on your solo shit is dope, man. Like it's obviously a telly. Um, yeah. A lot but of like, it. yeah. Are you one of the dudes that like won't tell, talk about their setup or are you come from? Oh no, I'll, I'll talk about my setup all day okay. long. And I'll tell cool. you, um, on the, the last, like those, the two solo records that I did with, with Dave Cobb producing, I would, I would love to sit here and take credit for my sweet guitar tone, but I owe a lot of the way those records, I mean, all of the way those records sound <laughs> to Dave Cobb. I mean, that, that was one of the super big, um, for me, one of the big takeaways, like I've never been, really all that knowledgeable of gear and like you know how to just the sort of nuances of the tech side of of how all the gear works you know beyond the obvious stuff you know i know what a telly sounds like i know what a fender deluxe sounds like all that kind of shit but um but dave cobb is a fucking master at that stuff and has 
I don't think I brought, I, I brought a few guitars. I don't even know how many of my guitars I played on those records. I played some of my guitars, but I played a lot of his guitars and I played only his amps, I think. I bought a Marshall when I was there making the second record that we used a lot on that. But, um, but he has like, you know, he's got, a, he's got old Voxes and old Fenders. He even, he's even had like a Dumble, you know, he had all kinds of great stuff. And there was one amp in particular on the West Coast Town record that I loved so much that he had that I went and, and bought and modded one to just try to have the exact same thing. And that was an old tweed Vibralux that he had stuck, I wanna say it was like he stuck a greenback in it. And it just, the way that amp broke up was so perfect and amazing that I, I went and found the same amp roughly the same year and stuck a greenback in it. And it, I mean, it sounds pretty close and pretty, and it's just like, it just does this magic thing that's, that's amazing. You know, man, I like, I've tried a lot, right? I've had like a Vox, um, I'm not going to name all of the companies that have given me free guitars that I don't play anymore. Um, Cause that seems mean, but like really man, fenders through fender amps, fenders through fenders. I mean, it's just fucking, you can't miss man. And like yeah. we, when we, our, our lead guitar player, his first tour with us, we hadn't even played the first show yet. And we went to the Sam Ash in the Chicago suburbs. Um, and they had this big super reverb. They just looked like shit. And Stefan was like, dude, I've always wanted a super, you know, and it was listed for like 1800 bucks or something silly. Yeah. And he's playing it and he's just like, dude, I want this, but I just, I don't have 1800 bucks. So like in my head, I was like, well, maybe I'll buy it and then it can be mine. And, um, well, he's like fucking around on his phone and he like finds this thing that says like, you know, a problem with a lot of the 70s super reverbs, if you crank the reverb past like seven, and you do any sort of chops that it'll like echo out. Yeah. So he starts doing this. And then he tells the guy, he's like, oh man, I'd buy this thing right now, but it just, it seems fucked. Yeah. And he's like, what's well, on consignment? Let me call the guy. Long story short, we talk him down to 900 cash for it. Great. And we were, when we were wheeling it out of the store, we were like, go, 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 go. You know, like, <laughs> right, let's get out of here. Yeah. Get out of here. Change yeah. their mind or something. But yeah. like, I've been playing through it a lot, man, especially the telly. And it's just like, you know, I think I have one of every, I have a twin, I have a deluxe, I have a Princeton, we have the super reverb. And I just, um, I'm just starting to realize like a, a good distortion pedal and a fender through a fender is pretty oh, yeah. all I need. I mean, I tell you tone wise, like, um, uh, I don't think I recorded with it. I don't remember now. I, I, well, last time I did any solo touring, all I brought with me was an old blackface Princeton. That's all I, you know, I didn't, I didn't bring my big, amps you know it's a lot easier getting that thing in and out of the van and when you're playing bars you know oh, like yeah. I, where i'm playing it's you don't really need all that firepower and you know you put a good pedal in front of it to grid it up and it's fuck man that's it's more than enough i tell you that that story about your buddy bartering them them down i i've never been good at bartering on you know about haggling on yeah. gear you know i just suck at it and the last time i ever tried it was a few years ago and i was I was sort of going back and forth with a guy selling uh, a Telecaster, I think on Craigslist. And I was trying to haggle him down, like to shave a couple hundred bucks off it. And he responded by saying, he said something like, you know, hey man, I'm friends with Rami, tell him I said hello, which was like a subtle way of saying like, 
I know you're in the Foo Fighters, dude. You don't need to. <laughs> no, <laughs> in, my, in my head, I was just like, it's got to be hard for you to haggle once someone realizes I right. who you are. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, ah, like, oh, fuck, all right, fucking, I'll take it. Yeah. You got me. Oh, man. I just felt like I should haggle. It's fucking Craigslist. You know, just, yeah. kind of the, you know, just on principle, you need yeah. to haggle a little yep. bit. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that either, man. Yeah. I, um, yeah, man, I've been going to the telly a lot. I just actually started like a relationship with Fender. Oh, I've nice. always, always had a really cool rep um, that even before it was official, we both do jujitsu. And that was actually how we connected on Instagram. And then he's like, by the way, man, I see that I see what you do and that you always have a Fender in your hand. If you ever need anything, let me know. Um, Good to know that there's a Fender rep that does jujitsu. And, and that's proof positive of the idea. You never know who you're fucking with. So you don't talk to shit to your Fender rep. Dude, I always, <laughs> I, I always joke the most dangerous, one of the most dangerous people I know is an RV salesman. Um, and, 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 he's, and he's always worn headgear. So he doesn't have cauliflower, like no distinguishing features that would right. let you know that he's a brown belt and a savage MMA fighter. Right, right. But yeah, man, I I really love the tone on all your records. Is there is is it different um, when you play with the Foo Fighters? Probably a bigger setup. It it is different generally, but I will tell you on this new record, um, there was a lot of overlap. I I played I played a you know some Strat on the Foo Fighter record, which is pretty unusual. Like you think of Foo Fighters as generally being like a humbucker type of band. Totally. That's more often than not, been my approach over the years. Although in recent years, I've, I've been playing guitars with, with uh, P90s in them quite a bit too. I love the, the P90 Me is such too. a good sort of right between a single coil and a, and a, and a humbucker kind of sound. Like it's just, to me, it's like fuller and, and grittier than, than a single coil, but it's sonically so different, kind of sits differently than, than a humbucker. Um, and has like more of like a clarity to it or something. But, um, but on this new Foo Fighter record, certainly played lots of, you know, whatever, guitars with humbuckers in them. Um, Les Pauls and things like that, but played um, my telly with P90s quite a bit. Played like a traditional telly with a with a single coil in it a, quite a bit, and um, and a Strat, and um, and you know, fucking probably God only know. You, you know, I never remember. And yeah, we have so we everybody brings all their amps and pedals and guitars, and there's just so yeah. much fucking gear laying around that you really. That, I mean, that is one of the great joys of being in a band that has like the luxury of a budget and time to sit there and, you know, kind of go, Hmm, what does, what does my guitar part need today? Yeah, man, I can only imagine. You know what I mean? It's great. I mean, that's what we all fucking dream of, right? To have that kind of time in the studio to really find the tone that's going to make your part slot in where it needs to, you know, it's great. I saw this short little mini doc uh, when John Mayer was working on a record. And he comes into the room and there's like the, you know, six big road cases with 12 guitars in each one. And there's, you know, the big long plastic fold out tables. Mm. There's three of them covered with pedals. And I just was like, that would be so overwhelming for me of just like, okay, cool, man. Well, I'm going to need probably a month to just figure out what I want something to sound like because there's so many, you know, what is that guitar through that amp with these two pedals, you know? And like, yeah, I was just blown away by just like, fuck, man, it's kind of nice just being like, nope, I'm going to play the telly through the deluxe on this. I, lo- I mean, there is something to be said about simplicity. And I've always been afraid of amps with too many knobs and having too many pedals. And I've even, I mean, if you can't see it from this 
viewpoint, but around, this is my little demo studio that I have here. And I have a, literally, I just, when I got this place, I just took all my pedals out and stuck them. I have this big, huge shelving thing. And it's too fucking many, man. It's just like, I don't even, I'd be honest, I don't even know what half of them do. Yeah. I don't know that I've plugged them all in. Like, and there's, and, and we live in this sort of renaissance time of like boutique pedal makers and boutique amp makers and guitar makers and everything, which is fucking rad. I love that, you know? And I love that there's all these guys out there that make, new versions of all the vintage shit that we can't get our hands on that sounds really close or sometimes better, you know, I mean, it's yeah. amazing. Um, but that all that said, I find myself kind of more often than not going back to like, you know, the same MXR flanger I've had forever and the same boss chorus that I've had forever and, and oh, reliable, like that, you know? Yeah. yeah. Dude, you know what I really love that Fender has been doing the past few years is like i have an american professional jag and it's so fucking simple you still get all of those tones but and then I, same thing i have an american professional jazz master that like has the phase on and off and your pickup selectors still right. sounds like a jazz master but there's not the four fucking dials and the like yeah you know there's just there's just too much uh too many choices with those jags and jazz masters and it's really cool that they're taking these classic old guitars and being like, okay, well let's take that shitty bridge off because the intonation right, gets fucked right. up if you drop it, you know? And they're just like, let's take these classic guitars and modernize them for people that are actually right. touring, you know, which is yeah, so yeah. cool. And like, you know, so many of those great vintage guitars were, were made at a time when, you know, everybody still played a wound G string and shit like that. And then nobody does that anymore. And that fucks up the intonation. You know, there's all the, there's those little tweaks that are like different, you know, about what, the modern era in the 1950s or even 40s or whatever yeah do you have a do you have another um solo record that you're working on i've written a ton of songs since we've been all been grounded so i mean i could i could go into the studio tomorrow and make one um, yeah but um but i don't know when i'm gonna do that and and i've just been kind of in a holding pattern like i there's you know i would like to get out to nashville and and get in, into the studio and and record but right now um with not touring and with sort of the foo fighters really busy right now even though like we can't go on the road but we're like basically just press 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 yeah, yeah press and like you know creating a lot of content and all that all that sort of stuff you know there's there's a lot going on in foo fighter land and and I'm not sure when that's when there's going to be a break. And it could very well be like we're just we just continue to sort of do what we've been doing until touring comes back, and then I'll go on the road for two years or whatever, you know. So all that to say, like I I will jump back in the studio here, hopefully relatively soon, to record some solo stuff. But I just I'm not sure when that's going to kind of slot sure. into my schedule. What's it like going from? Um, this will be a multifaceted question. What's it like going from touring with the Foo Fighters who are, you know, playing fucking Wimbledon and giant arenas and then during your solo project in bars and smaller clubs, is it like a cool thing to like go do the solo thing and remember like that that is still part of the industry? <laughs> you know, like, Oh yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it definitely like, I, it always gives me a, a renewed appreciation for how lucky we are in Foo Fighters, you know, and how comfortable we travel. You know, when I when I go out and do my own tour, if it's in the States, I have a, you know, I have a van and we yep. get in the van and it's, you know, we have 
cram a bunch of gear in there and take the last couple rows of seats out and everybody jams into the fucking bench seats. And, you know, it is what it is. I, I enjoy that kind of touring. If I'm honest with myself, would I really enjoy that at my age? If I didn't have the Foo Fighters? Yeah, you know, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. If, I don't know. <laughs> you know yeah, I, I, yeah. I like it a lot. And you see, when you tour in a van, you see the world and you see the country in a completely different way than when you're, you know, in Foo Fighters, we're either on a bus, but more and more in recent years, we're flying from gig to gig. We might like hub out of Chicago and fly to shows and be back in Chicago that night or, you know, something like that. Like, Whoa. More, like so, so you're, it's a lot of moving around, but you're not, but you're not seeing, you're not really like interacting with the cities that you're in as much, you know what I mean? When, yeah. when you're at that level. And I'm not like, I'm not saying that like to complain or anything, because obviously we're super lucky that we get to do things at that level, but it is, it is very different. And, um, and I always come back from like a solo tour kind of like, Oh my God, this is so comfortable. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh yeah. man. Oh, this hotel's so soft and delightful. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We did, um, years ago we did a tour with michael franci and 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 prior to that you know we're still doing the van thing have a trailer which is dope yeah. um but you know i remember just getting to the venue and and franci's tour manager at the time was so sweet to us would always make sure we got catering like he just went out of his way to make sure and i just remember like it's just crazy, you know, and, and he's playing large theaters. You guys are playing arenas, but he still has an assistant, uh, a monitor guy, a guitar guy. And I just remember that first week of tour, like, holy fuck, man, how crazy would this be? Right. And just like, you know, and a crew bus and a band bus and just like, yeah. you know, how crazy would this be to just be like, no, when I pick up my guitar, it's going to be perfectly in tune and it's going to be, have, if it needed any work, it's been worked on and like, yeah. You know, it's just, it's really cool, the levels. Um, well, that's, the, I mean, that's one of the, was one of the really interesting things when I joined Foo Fighters that was, had, you know, strange to wrap my head around. I'd never been in a band before where I didn't have to tune my guitar and load my amp in and out of a club. You know what I mean? Like, even in No Use for Name, I mean, we brought, you know, two or three guys out on the road with us, and it's not like I had to do it all by myself. You know, I had a, we had a guitar tech, and my buddy Shannon, and he, you know, obviously did the, the lion's share of the work, but you're still, you know, it's a different thing when you just, you don't even see your gear until yeah. you're out on stage. And it, like you said, and you're handed your guitar and it's perfectly in tune, you hope. <laughs> and, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and all and all that stuff. I, I tell you, when you're talking about being out with, with Franti, that it, uh, it just popped into my head, that thing that happens when, when, you're, when you're still touring in a van, um, but, you're, but you're at that level where you're getting, support slot for like support slot tours for bigger artists and those tours are routed for a bus and yes. you're in a van that's a fucking bitch man that's yeah like, like or like if you do the warp tour or something the warp tour yep. is routed for a bus and if you're in a van i remember we did that you know that is not easy you know yeah and i remember it was really sweet fronty would say every night you know he'd shout us out from stage and that's what yeah. he'd say that exact thing he'd be like this is a bus tour and these guys you know half the time when they're done playing they get in their van and they start driving to where we're going to play tomorrow and like yeah so make sure you get some merch on the way out you know totally yeah. um what's it like um as far as having a how many kids do you have i have three boys 
So you have three boys and you're married. What's the, yeah. what's it like touring at that level? Like, are you able to bring them sometimes or? Yeah. I mean, you know, once my kids all got to the age where they were in school, um, it basically turned into bringing my family out for chunks of our summer touring. And, That's you know, awesome. Most years we're on tour in the summer. Everybody else in the Foo Fighters has kids, of, you know, that runs a, like, you know, our bass player has pretty young kids now. He's also got a, a son that's about the same age as my oldest. And then everything in between, you know, my, my oldest son is the oldest Foo Fighter kid. He's like 17. Oh, and nice. Then, and I think the youngest Foo Fighter kid right now is, is you know, would be one of Nate's, um, uh, I don't know how old his, his youngest kids are, but, you know, but they're babies, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a pretty wide range and everybody in the band um, in the summertime, and usually at the same time, brings their whole families out. You know, so I was Foo Fighters summer tour and it's usually in Europe. It's like it's family really week at camp. Totally. Family month at camp. I mean, <laughs> it's, you know, we, yeah. we go over there and we do all the festivals, you know? And so all the whole, our backstage turns into, you know, a giant play date or what, you know, however. Yeah. You yeah. Look at that. It's, um, it's, uh, I love it because I mean, I, I love, that's one of the greatest gifts that I've get, been able to give my kids that I didn't have growing up. You know, I, I never traveled at all until I joined a band and went on tour. We yeah. never, you know, we, we didn't travel. We didn't go on vacation when I was Same. a kid ever. Um, and so, and I, and I think that's what was a big part of what fueled me to want to be in a band with that sort of sense of like, what's out there, you know, I want to see what's out there. So I think it's, I, I love the idea that my kids have traveled all over the world and I, and I can't wait to see what they're like when they're 25. Like if they're going to be these cool worldly seasons, yes world travelers you know i think that's got to have an effect i think that that traveling and touring i know for guys like us that do it it it's it's such a big part of how you're informed culturally you know yeah you know that that's a really interesting point man you know i remember i was at a barbecue and you know this guy i, I forget what we were talking about but probably something relating to a minority group or something but he said oh you think just because you travel all the time that you know more than me and I was like, yes, like, <laughs> like, yeah, like, I, like yeah. I actually do. Yeah. I actually do because I get to experience other people's cultures. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're yeah. talking about Detroit and I was there three times last year, you know, like, <laughs> you know, exactly. like, yeah. 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 And I think, yeah, it's really cool, man. And it, the thing that's funny is that, um, yeah, you, you, it's not only an appreciation, but like you're saying, um, when you travel, it, it kind of gives you this empathy. Um, and, and an understanding that not everybody fucking has it the same. Um, especially when you're playing smaller clubs, cause they're usually in weird parts of town. And like some of my favorite weird is a euphemism for shitty. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, yes. I, had, I mean, I can experience and, and you get that on a van tour. Yes. Uh, else where I can remember so many times, like you drive all day to get to the gig and you get to the city that you were playing in and you'd be driving through it and you'd be like, fuck, this is cool, man. Like there's a killer little coffee shop and you know, a little bookstore over there. This fucking looks great. And then you're like, okay, are we close to the club? Nope, it's another hundred blocks this way. And you're like, little by little, the neighborhood just goes like, and then by the it's, time you get to the fucking punk rock club you're going to, it's like, you know, you're like, fuck, we got to watch our shit getting in yep. and out of here. No. Yeah, it's like that day, that Dave Chappelle stand up where he's like, oh, this is nice. Gun store, liquor store, liquor store, gun store, gun store, liquor store, yeah. you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, totally. you know, I think of like, um, 
some of the food that we've gotten to eat playing in those neighborhoods, uh, like some of the tacos that we've had are just like, you know, one of, one of my favorite tour memories was we, um, you know, there was two restaurants in this neighborhood and there's this, I'm a taco connoisseur and there's this taco spot that had bars on the window. And I always joke with the boys, like if there's bars on the window, these tacos are going to be good. <laughs> and, but we went in there and, um, and we had, um, these barbacoa tacos, man. And the guy came out and was just really curious of like, what the fuck are you guys doing here? You know? Right, right, so right. we told him we were musicians. And then I started talking to him about cooking. And this guy sat down with me and gave me the full rundown of how to make his tacos. No shit. Yeah. He sat with us for like 45 minutes and just, we yeah. talked about food and how to make slow cooked meats. And it was just like, we walked out of there and it was just like, man, how many people in the world get to have interactions with people like this, you know, like, I, you know, there's a, I, I remember years ago, I think it was the first time that Foo Fighters ever went to Iceland. I think it was Iceland. It was somewhere far away. I'm pretty sure it was Iceland. And we, and there was, there was a Mexican restaurant in Iceland and we went in there <laughs> to check it out. And it was this Mexican American family that had moved there, I think from Chicago. I think that they had been based in Chicago, maybe at a restaurant there. So they wound up moving to, to Iceland where you're like, the last place on fucking tour ever you're gonna expect to find good tacos iceland yeah and you go in there and it's fucking legit with this mexican-american family and like mom's back there making you know making tortillas and shit like it was like the real deal <laughs> that's so funny man yeah i uh yeah i love it man i i miss it a lot and and just you know there's something too special with those van tours is like when you're crammed in that small space, it's like all you have is the music you're listening to and the company of your friends. Yeah. So for me, I've fallen in love with so much music because it's, well, you got fucking seven, eight hours a day to listen to it. Yeah. And some of the inside jokes that come when you're just rolling in a van with five dudes, it's like, yeah. you know, it gets hilarious real quick. I, I remember Tony from No Use for a Name used to always bring an acoustic guitar with him on tour. And, you know, we were in, when some, in a Ford O'Connell line that when we had built it out with a little, you know, sort of like uh, loft thing to sleep on. And there was one bench seat and then the driver's seat and passenger seat. And so it would always be tight in there. And, um, but Tony, as we would have these long drives and he would sit there and he would play like, you know, Moonshiner, the, you know, the, the, the uh, Uncle Tupelo version or whatever. And like, yep. you know, going down the road and I have these like really vivid, beautiful memories of, of, of those, sometimes those really long, what you would think of as like the worst moments of a, of a van tour can be like, that's where you bond. So much. it really is, man. And, and I was given a piece of advice when I was just starting, when we were still playing for no one, you know, now we do three, 600 tickets anywhere we go, which is good. But even on the Franti tour, we had this whole summer where we were on this huge tour, but I was so, in my head of like, okay, well, what's next? How are we going to build, you know? And, um, and I was given a piece of advice years prior by my father-in-law and he said, don't, you know, remember to be present during all of this. Cause these will be the memories that you have. Once you get in the bus and all of this, it'll just be another tour. And he's yeah. like, these will be your fondest memories. And I remember him saying that. And, and it really just like on the very last tour we did last fall, was when that whole tour, I just was like in a great mood because I kept remembering like, fuck man, this is it. This is the fun yeah. shit, you know? And, and, 
and how much time I wasted being like, what's next, what's next, what's next, you know? I think that's really hard though, you know? I mean, it's, it's great advice, you know, to, be, to try to be present, but I find myself even now, I mean, how often am I truly in the present and not sort of stressing out about what I gotta do next week or next month or what, you know? It's, yeah, it's hard. That's just, good. that's just good in any walk of life, I feel like. But I, and especially when you're a young, up and coming, hungry musician and like, you know, you eat what you kill in this yeah so <laughs> that's a great way to say it like it's you know it's it's sort of you kind of have to be always like on the prowl with, with the next thing and how are we going to build off this thing that we're doing so it, it is hard but um, but you but you're i think you said it was your stepdad or, or your father-in-law father-in-law yeah father-in-law i mean it's great advice and and really like i look back at some of my early touring you know pre-foo fighters even you know a lot of it pre-foo fighter stuff was like those are some of the most you know, the trips that I get the most nostalgic about, because it's like the first time you ever did it, you know? Yeah. The first yeah. time you ever do anything is like, that's like, it's all, you're just a fucking pirate out there, you know? Yeah, like, really. That's, yeah, adventure. that's really what it is. So how did you end up in the Foo Fighters? I've been, I don't know the story, but I've had multiple people tell me that it's a pretty interesting story. Well, it, you know, there's, it's funny you ask, because there's a, there's the internet fake version of that, which mm -hmm. is that I was going to join Guns N' Roses or something. And then, <laughs> this is, this, you know, this is funny thing out when these, like, like, uh, uh, when internet rumors get attached to your name, you never, ever lose them. Um, and I get asked about them all the time, even though I, like, uh, always explain that that was never the case. I never auditioned for Guns N' Roses. It's just whatever. It's a, it's a dumb internet rumor. The reality of it was we had just made a new No Use For Name record. Um, we were getting ready to go on tour. Uh, Bill, I talked to Bill over at Side One. You know Bill, obviously. Um, and he, and we were talking about some stuff. And I said, dude, I heard the Foo Fighters guitar player just quit. You know, see if, see if you can get me an audition. And this was a few months before they even had auditions. So I had that conversation with, with him and just forgot. So cut to a few months later. I'm out in New York just dicking around visiting friends um, and and I get a phone call from this guy Gus Brandt who I actually kind of knew because he had been Seaweed's tour manager and I knew him from that a little bit and it was this dude Gus he's like hey it's Gus from Foo Fighters you know we're having auditions next week in LA I just wanted to you know see if you wanted to come audition I was like excuse me what and so I had this funny period there for a couple weeks where I didn't want to tell my band that I was going to audition for the Foo Fighters because I didn't think I would necessarily get it. Um, and that would obviously be a little awkward. Um, yeah. Like, hey, I auditioned for Foo Fighters, didn't get it. Yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna stay here, guys. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so I went and auditioned for them and then came back a week later and auditioned again and then, and then wound up getting the gig and, and, um, and it was like just off to the races. Like literally like, off and running right away that's got to be kind of nerve-wracking doing the audition thing of like i mean a how the fuck do you not be nervous when you're like whoa okay i'm auditioning for the fucking foo fighters i was very um, nervous and two yeah there's just all those things that i would imagine would be in the back of your head of like how many people are auditioning like fuck is it a hundred like yeah you know oh, yeah. how how amped and, were and you i'll tell you they they did they had about a week of auditions and i think that it was lucky that i was came in on like the second day yeah you know what i mean i bet i i, I don't know maybe if i come in on the sixth day they would have been so fucking burnt and over just fuck this guy just get him out of here. you know who knows totally you know? so so what did that look like like it was 
you coming in and they're like, okay, they just name a song and they're like, yo, we're going to play Everlong, go. No, what, what, <laughs> I, it was really interesting how they did it. Like they, um, they sent everybody a cassette. You know, this was in the days of cassettes. Badass. Um, so I got a cassette in the mail. It had a song off the first record. First record was out. The, they had just made the third record. The third record was not out. I had never heard it. So it was, the tape was a song off the first record, a song off the second record, a song from a, a Godzilla soundtrack that they had been on that I had never I, heard. That was kind of a weird- I remember weird, that. Yeah, it was called like A320. It was kind of a weird, you know, in this more sort of like weird side of things that the band does. And then there was one song from the as yet unreleased third record, which was a song called Aurora that was also not your stereotypical Foo Fighter-y kind of song. You know, it was like, it had this crazy delay guitar part and some, you know, it's just a little bit different dynamic. So I had to learn those four songs, but I, I went into it like learning the all of the first two albums basically. Cause I figured, you know, what if this goes well? I, I need to know as many of these songs as I can. So. We did those four songs. I don't remember even exactly what we did in the audition. I, I, my memory of it is it, it, it wasn't long. It was maybe an hour. We played those four songs. We mostly talked, you know, um, about whatever. Um, I didn't know any of them personally at that time. Um, we, we might have played a couple more songs. I don't remember. And then, uh, you know, when I came back a week later for my second audition, then we played, it was a longer audition. We played a lot of songs, you know, off the first couple records. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's cool. The Foo Fighters are a cool band for a few reasons. One, because they've been around forever and it's so fucking rare, especially in like post 70s rock and roll that a band can hang out for 20 years and stay yeah. relevant. Yeah. And the Foo Fighters have just always been relevant. Like they've never been like, oh, I wonder what they're up to. Oh, they're making another record. It's, you know, it's, they've, you guys have just always been around. Well, you know, it's, it's funny because people ask me about that all the time. Like, how have you guys managed to sustain yourselves or whatever? You know, Great like, records. And good... well, <laughs> I, I would, I, I think you could even boil it down a little more than that. And that is we've, we have consistently worked all these years. Yep. But if you look, there's like a new Foo Fighter album every couple of years, you know, since the band's been a band. And we always go out and tour hard and have never, you know, there's never been a point where we like went on hiatus for five years or, you know, did some radical, like uh, different, you know, Kilroy was here type of album departure thing, you know, like it's just, it's just been like kind of like one foot in front of the other, you know, make a record, tour the record, it. make a record, tour the record. And, you know, somehow we didn't kill each other along the way. And you know, here we are. Yeah, yeah, man. I think that's, that's, yeah, it's really rare. That seems to be the big thing. Like just you saying in the audition that you guys talked a lot, you know, I remember having a conversation with Franti, his bass player has been with him from the beginning, you know, from like the first spearhead shows. And yeah, he's right. like, yeah, and he's like, obviously you want good players, man, but there's 24 hours in a day and the set's only 90 minutes, you know? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah. like, totally. if, you if you find someone that's an excellent hang and can play all the songs, that's it. Like, yeah. <laughs> they, don't, they, don't they don't have to be a fucking Juilliard graduate, man. If they can yeah. play the songs and they're fun to hang out with, like, that's it. Well, I mean, and let's be honest, like, in rock and roll, like, you really don't have to be a Juilliard graduate. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, it's totally not, like, if you were trying to make it in, like, 
I don't other there's other genres that you do have to be more um you know I, I mean country music is a great example of that like especially mainstream country I think a lot of the folks that that get that rise to the top are really really high level players but for fucking alt rock you sure fuck don't have to be you know just gotta I mean? rock yeah, <laughs> yeah you know Dude, I mean? it's it's funny I'm not a I'm not a pop country fan but I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine the other day, man. The guitar solos that end up on these pop country songs are oh. so fucking clean, man. So I'll good. You, oh, I'll tell you a, a, an interesting thing. So there's a guitar player. I don't know if you're familiar with the name Brent Mason out uh -uh. in Nashville. And he is like, he's been a session dude in Nashville for a very long time. Played on like basically all, I mean, he's still super active today, but played on like all the big like 90s country stuff. You know, the, when you talk about like pop country, when, when yeah. it first kind of really got, you know, I don't know, Travis Tritt and Alan Jackson, yeah, things sure. like that. You know, yep. those, those, all those ripping guitar solos are this dude, Brent Mason. And, um, and, and he's, he's amazing. And, and he actually, I took a couple of lessons from him in the last year or so on FaceTime or, or Skype or whatever, yep. you know, and, 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 and you can go to his website and you can fucking take a lesson from Brent Mason. And so the first couple lessons I took from, I didn't really even know, and he's a really nice guy and really like easy, approachable, you know, talk to him about anything. And so he, you know, just showed me, I told him what I was into, show me some stuff. But then I think like the third lesson I took from him, I went like, hey, can we just learn like a, a solo you did? Can you just show me how to play that solo? And I forget which song we picked, but he just broke down one of his classic fucking solos. And you're like, fuck. Man, that's how you do that yep and I, and then, you know for me i can play it at about half speed because yeah. you know he's just like he's like ingve malmstein but honky tonk you know what i mean yeah on a telly he's burning but um but you know that is one of the great joys of this time that we're that we're living in that like you know if you're a, a musician you want to learn how to play whatever the fuck you want to learn how to play we have access to like the most amazing people you can find if not if you can't reach that person directly somehow you can probably find them explaining how they did what they did on youtube, on YouTube. or you can yeah, find a yeah. hundred people who are fucking have like figured it out and are ready to show you you know yeah yeah it's funny man this um <clears throat> i feel like last year i was really obsessed with becoming a better guitar player and then i bought this gibson sj200 and i'm like no man open chords I'm never soloing again. I just want to play big <laughs> open chords, you know. Cowboy chords, man. That's, yeah, yeah, that's where it's at. Yeah, it's it's funny how um how different guitars like they change your trajectory of what you're interested oh, yeah. in. And when I got this big fucker, man, I just was like, you know, yeah, all all big open chords. Don't you think sometimes like you, you get a new guitar and it totally it'll inspire you to write a couple of songs, you know, just just because yes. the way you. Yeah. You know, it just does. It's it's funny how that works. Yeah, this this it, it, there's like three or four songs on the new record that are just because I bought this thing. I just couldn't put it down, man. And I went yeah. I went into the shop knowing I was going to spend money and me looking the way I look, too. I always know when I like walk into that room, they're like, fuck you know and they, <laughs> it's such a guitar store thing to do uh, yeah like, are yeah. you looking to buy today yeah. yeah so he comes in and i i thought i was gonna buy a hummingbird and so the one i'm looking at is like 4500 bucks and he was like uh could you go wash your hands i was like yeah sure man <laughs> 
you know, and I did. And then I finally told him like, dude, I have a label deal and a budget and stuff. Like he was yeah. just really hovering and being weird. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to buy a guitar. Like I'm yeah. one of these nice ones that say ask before playing. Like right, I'm going right. to buy a guitar from you today. So just, could you yeah. leave me alone? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I but, have a credit card. I yeah. Swear. <laughs> yeah. But it was, uh, it was funny because it wasn't even the, it was the cheapest of the guitars that I was looking to play. It was still very expensive, but it was like, yeah, it's just sometimes you play a guitar and you're just like, man, this is the one. Like, I can't yeah. let anybody else have you. Like, I have to yeah. take it home. I, you know, I bought, I bought a, um, I always had, had a thing for, I mean, I love Firebirds, the Gibson Firebird anyway, but Firebirds, the way that they're built are too neck heavy for me. And the necks are too wide for me to yep. play them. I think they're like one of the coolest looking guitars ever. I always loved the way that looked when dudes played those things, but they're just not comfortable for me. So the, the non-reverse Firebird is a very different animal. Um, and I love those too. And I bought one and they're way, you know, the neck's way lighter and they're really comfortable. Play, but I bought kind of a beat up one that had a lot of problems when we were making the wasting light record that we made whenever whenever that was 10 years ago or something and um and and it was one of those things where I bought it off of eBay or maybe it was reverb or, you know bought it off the internet sight on well I saw it but I never touched it never held it you know because that's such a big part of buying a guitar totally. it feels in your hands and um and took it to the, the shop that I take my guitars to get fixed here locally and it had it was like unplayable when I bought it, and and my guy out here in the valley fixed it up and got it working again and fixed the neck up and put some new pickups in it, and um, it was just one of those magic guitars. It kind of like it changed. It was like a it was like a little left turn in my guitar playing. Just getting that guitar, it made me sort of. It was the, it was the first time I was like playing a lot with P90s. It was changed. I used that guitar a lot on that West Coast of Town record, um, and, and it was like as I was writing that record, as I was figuring out what I was going to, you know, my guitar solos on that, like there was a lot of stuff sort of wrapped up and I've used it a lot on that Foo Fighter record too, around that same time. So it is funny like that. You sometimes you just get one of those magic ones, man. It just, it's, it's just does something, you know, you can't put it down. Yeah. I had a, a, a similar thing happen with an SG, but I played it sitting down at the shop. I didn't play it with a strap on. So I bought this SG in the middle of the tour. And then the first night I put the strap on, it goes ring. <laughs> you know i was <laughs> like fuck yeah. man yeah. but yeah dude i love that i like that you still buy old guitars too i think it's like i think there's something really cool about that too of just like um i'm friends with g love and that's like his thing is like the pawn yeah. shop guitar and then having yeah. the tech like put work in on it and he's like yeah. you have no idea where this thing's been man this thing's yeah. like whole life before it got to me you know well that's that's like the sort of only like reasonable way to get to a uh, reasonably priced way to get nice old vintage guitars. I think, you know, yeah. buy something that's a little fucked up, but it's like got that nice old wood. Maybe it's got the nice old pickups and you just got to And it's not going to be a collector's item, but you, the, 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 you know, the flip side of that is that then you don't feel so bad taking that out on the road and beating it up some more. Yeah, you know? totally. <laughs> yeah. Cause who wants a guitar that you have to sit, keep in a vault, you know, the things are supposed to be played. I was just looking at a really cool custom hummingbird that I was going to drive to Bozeman and get. And then I started thinking like, yeah, dude, but I wouldn't want to, you know, I would never fucking let it go on an airplane, you know, like, right. right. But so I want to, I want to talk to you a bit about your new record. Yeah. The, the new Foo Fighters record. Sure. Um, there's this, I mean, it's still the Foo Fighters and it's still rock and roll, but there's kind of this like danceability 
throughout the whole thing, this kind of like four on the floor, like yeah. usually when you think of like the Foo Fighters, you're just like, see people rocking out. But yeah. like yeah. For, so, for some reason, and maybe it's just me, I feel like every single song can, you can dance to it, you know? Well, it's interesting. I mean, it's the first time that, um, that I think that we've ever really used, like, you know, they looped some of Taylor's drums on there, you know, would get like a whatever amount of him playing and then loop it, you know, kind of thing to, to give it more of that flavor. And I suspect like when we go out and can finally tour this record, I, I suspect a lot of that, those songs will probably be a little louder and looser and a little rough around the edges, you know, because it's, yeah. you know, the studio, it's, you can be real slick in the studio or whatever, but live tends to be a bit of a different animal. But, um, but yeah, no, I think Dave really like, um, you know, he was vibing on like Let's Dance by David Bowie and sort of the way that record felt and sounded. And, yes. and we were you know, using that as like kind of sonic inspiration for a lot of it. And, 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 and you know, I think this, this batch of songs just kind of lent itself to that, you know? It just, it, it works. And, and I, I, I love that. I love when like rock and roll and, and disco music, you know, not to say that it's disco music, Exactly. Yeah, but that like, I, vibe. I love when those things kind of cross over, you know. So I've yeah. always heard that sound. Yeah, it's interesting. That's funny that you said that because that was what was coming to my head when I was listening to it. Was I was like, it's a very David Bowie cocaine era vibe to this, right? You know, I mean, you, <laughs> yeah. you could even, I mean, you could even throw like you know, fucking uh, Rod Stewart or fucking um, even like you know, back in the New York Groove by Ace Frehley on a solo, you know, those kind of things where there's that sort of blending of styles. I love that shit. Yeah, I do too. And I think it reaches people more broadly because I think that there's like music fans and then like purists, you know, that really love and dig music. But then there's also people that are just like, I don't know, can I dance to it? You know, right. and it's like this subconscious thing when they hear it doesn't make them want to move. And that's their only prerequisite. Yeah. Um, I think we're, we're kind of, you know, it's an interesting thing that we made this record before COVID. You know, we were oh, finished okay. with it before COVID really hit and the lockdown, all that stuff. Finished it like about a year ago. And so there is that thing that it's just, you know, it's interesting that after, you know, everybody's had kind of a rough year, we're putting out this album that's kind of uplifting in that sense. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, it's, it's a good thing, I think, that it's not a bunch of mopey fucking minor key songs. You know? Yeah, yeah, all, I think. We've all had enough feeling like that. Let's have yeah, a party. You it's know, it's a been a very minor key year, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I think that's the, I, I feel like everyone's on the, on the precipice too of this, like, I mean, I've been having candid conversations with friends of mine that are promoters that are literally getting ready to be like, man, fuck this, like, <laughs> right <laughs> people need music dude and like yeah. i we were sell, we were selling tickets well before this happened but the demand now dude like i have done some solo shows and they're fucking selling out in an hour like people really? are just like uh like yeah people are fucking hungry man that's really interesting because it would seem the you know it would seem like the, the ultimately in the ultimately in the long run this whole thing is going to have the biggest negative impact on developing artists. But what you're, but if what you're saying, I mean, that's another way of looking at it, that maybe people are going to be so fucking starved that maybe that in itself will, you know, maybe it'll be the opposite. Maybe, you know, artists like you will come roaring back and bigger than before this thing happened. Who knows? I, I think, I think we will, we were really lucky 
that we went into COVID with like a shit ton of momentum. Yeah. That's kind of carried us through. Like our streaming numbers are still steadily climbing. Right. Um, and then putting out this record with side one, um, I was talking to Mark from OAR of just, he was just like, Hey, how's it going? Your first time with a label and a publicist and the whole thing. And I wasn't, I wasn't complaining by any means, but I was like, yeah, man, I just am answering the same questions a lot. And he's yeah. like, do every fucking interview. Like it's a Rolling Stones yeah. interview, man, because it's like yeah. that press is everything, you know, and it's, and it's so cool that we had that momentum going in and then we're going to put out a record with side one. And, um, that there seems to be a lot of interest because I'm, yeah. you know, doing two or three calls a day. Well, it's, it's funny, man. Like, you know, you, it's, it's, it's when it's you doing the interviews, it seems very repetitive. I mean, yeah. as you know, it's, you, you basically get asked the same handful of questions over and over and over and over again. But, um, but you realize like when, when you're doing what we're doing, or if I'm doing, if I'm hosting you on my podcast, I'm going to wind up asking you a bunch of shit that everybody else asked you too, because you realize like, it just doesn't permeate like that. It yep. takes, you know, like it, you have to answer those questions eight fucking million times. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and before yeah. that information really even gets out there, you know, it's, yeah. yeah. And each it's little interesting, like back to like what you're talking about, like with the, with how this is impacting younger artists or whatever. It's, I had a conversation with a, with a buddy of mine who's a manager right at the beginning of COVID when we, you know, it was only a couple of months into things shutting down and, and, and I remember him, like he had been managing this band that was just at a point, literally just at the point where they had like a solid year of touring planned out to like, you know, they were just at that point where I don't think the, the people in the band had to have jobs. Yeah, know? that's so a great. You could make it work. And to go from that to like, wait a minute, everything's gone. Now you have to go back and get a day job. You know, nothing against day jobs, but that is a, I, you know, that's that's a bitter pill to swallow when you fucking work and you work and you work to get to this point and you're just about there. And then it's like, now nope, go get that gig back at Starbucks or whatever it is. And like, you know, that level of artists, I just wonder where, where they're going to be. Yeah. They didn't have momentum really. You know totally. what I mean? They weren't going into it. They were just barely almost there, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, for all my guys, you know, them touring with me was, you know, a huge chunk of their income. But I, from the beginning, have just paid the shit out of everyone when we make records, so I own all the music, you know? Right, and, right. <laughs> which is working out great right now. But when my guys are home, it's like like my drummer lives in Brooklyn, and he did reggae nights on Tuesday, Afrobeat nights here. Yeah. His whole life was playing. And then same thing, my guitar player in Charlotte. That was what he did. When he's home, he fucking plays his guitar, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. So that, I know that's been real hard, but I think there's so many bands that I'm seeing a lot like in bluegrass that don't have streaming numbers because a lot of people love to go to bluegrass shows, right? but they're not sitting at home being like, oh, I'm going to listen to this bluegrass band record. Or if they are, it's like Bill Monroe's greatest hits. Exactly. <laughs> Joe Schmo's current bluegrass band. Yeah, whatever, exactly. You know? Right. Yeah, so it's it, it's really interesting how it's affecting everyone so differently. I feel like the yeah. luckiest dude in the world because um, yeah. because my world, you know, I'm 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 chilling, man. I'm just hanging out with my family and started the podcast, which has been really cool. Um, yeah. So how did you start your podcast? Because your podcast is everyone everyone that I know knows knows of your podcast. Yeah, I started to promote an album. 
that I had made and was putting out. <laughs> and, um, and that was it. It was like, you know, I, it's hard to get press. Um, it's expensive to get press and hire a, a publicist. So the sort of the thought was like, create this thing that becomes a vehicle to promote whatever I'm working on. Um, in addition, and then sort of once I got up and started doing it, I realized I enjoyed doing the interviews and all that sort of thing. But, but, um, but if I'm honest, the real sort of, you know, hidden agenda in the whole thing was just like, Hey man, I got these tour dates come out and, you know, tickets go on sale Monday and here's this new album and check it out. Now I'm going to talk to John Doe from X or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Who are, who are some of the favorite interviews that you've done on there? I know my, one of my favorite episodes that you did is Billy Strings. I'm just really intrigued. With oh that. yeah. You know, he's he, just a, I think he was stoned out of his mind when I, and it was early in the morning too. I was usually. Like, good on you, buddy. Usually. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. He, he seemed like he was having a good day. Um, and he was super cool. Um, yeah. Sometimes there's definitely, I mean, there's loads of people who I've interviewed that I just didn't know that much about going into it. And some of those are like, you just, you don't know what to expect. And it turns out to, you know, you, that the person's really interesting and cool. Um, so a lot of those are at the top, but, um, uh, you know, if there's one I always point to, it's the Merle Haggard one. I mean, that one, I'm, I'm just so happy that I a got to meet him and that I got to have a pretty long form interview with him really not long before he passed away. That was like, you know, within he had passed away, I want to say within six or eight months of us doing that interview. Man. So it, was, it was pretty close to the end of his life. And he was um, and he was amazing to talk to. Um, and then, God, there's so many other ones, just like any of the people who are huge influences on me, um, you know, Steve Earle and people like that. They're all great. Steve Earle's a stud. Yeah. How, what about, um, who, who are some people that you've met, whether through the podcast or um, being in the Foo Fighters that were just like, holy shit, man. Well, I remember like around the time Johnny Cash died, we Foo Fighters went and played like a tribute uh, I remember gig. that. And it was, um, it was shot here in LA at like, I want to say it was at the Pantages or somewhere. I remember Brad Paisley played that. That was the first time I ever saw Ooh, him. Ooh, that fucking guy can play. <laughs> Holy oh, shit. I don't even know if I met him at that, but I walked into the room when he was sound checking and listened to him just play, like just burn a crazy lead. I was like, oh my <laughs> Lord. Um, that's like one of those guys that you're like, does this inspire me to go learn how to play a couple of those licks or should I just throw my fucking telecaster? <laughs> yeah, you know totally. I, mean? I don't know which way to go with that one. But at that show, we were paired up with Chris Christopherson. Damn. And, yeah. And so we got to play Sunday morning coming down and just be his backup band. And I tell you, it was one of the coolest experiences I ever have ever had, you know, meeting a superstar, you know, musician, because we actually rehearsed the song. We set up in the basement of the theater and we were down there kind of learning it, working it out. And um, the door opens and it's Chris Christopherson. And he comes in, he's carrying his acoustic guitar. You know, he's got it in a case. And he comes in and he's just like, no entourage, no helper, no team of managers or whatever, publicists or whatever, just him. And he just came in, he opened up his case and plugged in and we ran through it once or twice. And he was just like, all right, cool, sounds good. And then that was it. And then we we literally just hung with him in the backstage, like, you know, till we taped the song. And he was just like the most sort of salt of the earth, cool, just, you know, like I said, no, no, no. A lot of times you, you in this industry, 
people that get to a certain level are can be are really fucking cool and nice and down to earth but everyone around them is fucking insane you know yeah. like there's yep. that thing and and those people around the the person you want to meet make it all very difficult and those are the ones out there like say you know giving out commands like you can't make eye contact with so-and-so or what you know that kind of stuff and then you meet the person and they're like the coolest dude in the world or woman in the world whatever um and it was so refreshing to see christopherson didn't have any of that just just him that's cool man that's like the muhammad ali thing you know like he still walked his kids to, i remember when mayweather had said I'm, I, I'm the greatest boxer of all time he goes you don't go anywhere without bodyguards muhammad ali when he was world champion still walked his daughters to school every morning right yeah. <laughs> you know you ain't shit right. dog yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, like yeah. Totally. yeah that's that's cool christopherson's a legend man i've been on a huge huge highwayman kick for like oh yeah going on four months i, I listened to those that that highwayman record all the way through at least once a day it's a it's a great record and a great time capsule record for production of that moment you know yeah they it's were real like, into the chorus pedal on that yeah yeah they had like just found that sound or like dude let's use this on everything totally yeah. totally yeah i saw some footage of them uh of them playing at msg and it just you know, I mean, I think as a musician, you always see that classic footage, whether it's Woodstock or whatever, and you're like, fuck, man, I wish I do it with dead shows all the time. Where I'm like, man, right. I wish I could just go back and be there. But that one was yeah. just like fucking Willie, Chris, Waylon, Johnny Cash, all literally just standing there on stage together with this yeah. insane backing band. Yeah. I mean, fuck. Yeah. Like, I tell you what, man, I actually got uh, the guy that played with them, that played Steel with them, was Waylon's. Uh, steel player um a, a guy named robbie turner and he was tight with uh with uh or he is tight with with dave cobb and i i had him play on my west no Coast. way yeah and it was like it was pretty fucking amazing you know the guy's just a master you know pedal steel is like it's you have to be a fucking genius to make that thing work and this guy just owned it but also just getting to hang with him, like talk to him. And this is a guy whose parents were in fucking Hank Williams band, not Hank, Jr., Hank Williams band. Like, you know, and, and he grew up in fucking in Memphis actually. And like had these crazy stories about like hanging out in front of Graceland and talking to Elvis Presley and Elvis trying to pick up on his brother's girlfriend, like all this crazy shit, you know I mean? It was like, really like, you know, the dude had some, had some history. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, it's wild. I um, it's weird. All of the people that I want to meet aren't like famous musicians. I might get to hang out with Joe Rogan when I go to Austin <laughs> next month, and I'm like right. really pumped on that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah, it's weird. Like you're saying, I've met a few uh, a few people that I was really excited to meet, and then was like, oh man, he's a dick. Bummer. Yeah, you know, you know, it happens. It happens. I I I feel like. I don't know. I've been mostly lucky in that regard. I think if anything, what tends to happen when you meet your heroes is like you're meeting them at a gig mm -hmm. and it's, and they're everybody else's hero too. Yeah. And so it's like, you just, it's cool, but you don't really have any kind of meaningful, you know, back and forth. Cause like, totally. Like, oh my God, yeah, yeah. Jimmy fucking page, man. Yeah. 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 You know, so, it's you a, know, and that's not their fault. That's just, no. you know, it's because we're all crazy about, yeah. them, you know? Yeah. I had a, an interesting, like on a smaller scale of that, I had came across a comment thread 
um, I recently caught a bunch of heat for having a guy on the podcast that was like a comedian uh, that's seemingly pretty misunderstood. But um, there's a comment thread and this person was like, I met Drew. He's a fucking asshole. Oh, no. And I was like, what? Like, I may, you know, I try to be cool with every single person I meet. I was like, I'm an asshole. Well, I looked at his picture and I had the memory. Um, I had gotten a staph infection. This was in South Carolina. I had gotten a staph infection at a jujitsu gym training. I'd gotten in an argument with my wife on tour and I'd broken a tuning peg off of my guitar. <laughs> this was, and, and this dude came up to me while I was the unloading the event. trifecta. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> but, but he came up like super, super excited. And I just got off the phone with my wife and she was all stressed out and I was all stressed out. And I was just like, Hey man, you know, and he was like trying to tell me this super intense story of this relationship that he had with one of my songs. And I was just kind of like, all right, man, cool. Well, see you in there. You know, just trying to like get through the conversation. And it's so funny because to what you're saying is it's like for a fan, it's like they see the ticket go on sale, they buy the ticket. And then uh, this thing starts in their head of like, fuck, maybe I'm going to meet this person. Right. So this whole thing's going, but like, as you know, on tour, especially in a van tour, you're like, yeah, man, it's a fucking Wednesday. I mean, you know, yeah. I just, yeah, it's yeah, for, yeah. Me, for me, I just well, drive eight hours and. Yeah, it's, it, I think it's a really interesting thing because I think we've all had those kind of experiences and, and I'm, you know, no question I've had encounters with people who are fans of ours who, you know, maybe I came off shitty. Um, and I'll tell you some funny stories about that eventually, but I think like, um, I think that there's a, and I'm, I'm in no way complaining about fans or anything like that. You know what I mean? Cause obviously we, we, you know, the greatest blessing in the world, right. And fans, fans pay my mortgage and yeah. put it on the table for my kids and all that stuff. So I, I love the fans um, and, 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 and deeply indebted to them. And I think that, I think that when you make records and go out, if you're lucky enough to have any fans, you do have a responsibility to be yes. cool when, when they come up and, talk to you you know yep um more often than not and yet in in sort of with technology the way it exists now um with social media and with everybody sort of airing their private moments all the time i think there's this uh a, a, a false intimacy that happens especially when you're a certain type of artist and a certain type of band and have a certain type of culture and like for us you know foo fighters i think part of the way a big part of the way that we're perceived by the world is like dudes that you might be at a barbecue with or whatever, you know, totally. what I mean? and that's not necessarily untrue, but like, that's like, you know, that is part of like the brand or whatever. So, so you do get into this thing where there's like a real false sense of familiarity, false sense of familiarity, <laughs> false sense of intimacy and a total, not for everybody, but for some people just get, you know, lose sight of the fact that you're a human being and maybe it's an inappropriate time to, to get in your face when you're like about to load your van and you just drove for eight hours or whatever, like you said that may, you know, like I know for me, dude, when I get to where we're going on a tour like that, I need to like go fucking get a cup of coffee, yep. kind of decompress a little bit. It's maybe not the time to, to, to have that moment. Like there is an appropriate time. Cause I'll, I'll have funny ones. Like, cause you know, I go play little side gigs when I'm on tour with the Foo Fighters. You know, I'll go play an acoustic show somewhere and I'll get some of those people and they don't mean it. They're not trying to be rude, but people just get carried away. And like in the middle of your song, like playing an acoustic, they'll start trying to tell you some story. I want to take a selfie with you where you're like, 
dude, I'm on, like, I'm trying to play, I'm trying to remember my lyrics right now. Like, yep. this is not the right time for the, like, come on, man. Like, should I have a little, like, respect, you know, like, for the moment and for everybody else that's here. And, you know, um, those things happen, man. It's, I think it's, it's uh, you know, ultimately you're lucky to have anybody want to ever take a selfie with you at all. But it is funny, I, and I've noticed that much, much more and more in recent years um as sort of technology has has turned everybody's life into an instagram story or whatever you know? yeah I, for, I forget you know when a stranger comes up and is like asking you about your son by name and you know the whole thing you're like oh yeah oh Ask yeah about your dog, you know yeah how's, how's, your, how's lucky doing you're like Wait, what <laughs> yeah who my dog is man? <laughs> yeah 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 it's a weird time and it's but you know yeah it's like anything man it's the the pros and the cons is there's the yeah. like um it's really cool to be able to connect like fans with fans like that because then they're like in they're like we're yeah. in we're with you yeah, but yeah yeah then there's those situations where it's like well this is fucking weird you know it's and a fun, it's a funny thing with with like with being in a big band and doing stuff outside of it that isn't commercially successful like when i do my solo records they're not hit songs i don't yeah. play packed out sold out shows and there's a funny thing, like there's a core group of really hardcore Foo Fighter fans, especially here in Southern California. There's a core group that I, that, you know, that I, at this point, I recognize and know many of them by name, you know, and I rec I see them on my social media feeds and I see them, they come to my club shows and like that almost becomes like, like, uh, um, you know, like the barometer for whether or not it's going to be a good show. Like the show sucked so hard that Cosmo didn't even come. And I was in Orange County, you know what I mean? <laughs> and that dude comes to fucking every show. And that's how shitty my fucking show was that, you know, that I didn't even see any of those, you know, the hardcores, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's funny, man. Like, cause you know, it's what a joy to, to, to like, that didn't exist when I was a kid, dude. You didn't, there was no way that I was going to interact with Black Sabbath. Right. You know, dude, you know what else I think about of that time period? Imagine fucking doing a tour with no Google Maps, no like, you know, like oh, having yeah. to stop at a payphone to get a ticket count and like check in oh, with the rest of I the team. I, dude, and, like, I'm so old, I don't have to imagine that at all. I mean, I, I, tell, <laughs> I, tell, I tell people all the time, you have no idea how much time we spent lost on tour back in the day. That was all you did was try to figure out how to get from one city to the next city. You like, you get a state map and then you get into oh. St. Louis and get a St. Louis map. We had a well-worn Thomas guide. And you know what? Every now and again, those things are fucking wrong. <laughs> you learn that the hard way. Ma'am. Yeah, it's um yeah, it's wild to even think about. And just how I know a lot of people complain about the streaming, but because it doesn't pay, but it's like there was something special that happened when the record industry kind of went like this and streaming went like this. Cause I think people forget about the return. The amount of fucking people that have come up to me after a show and been like, man. Dude, I was listening to Michael Franti radio on Pandora and this song of yours came up and holy shit, man, I've been obsessed with you guys ever since. Yeah. And it's like, or like we were talking about with Spotify, it's bands you might like. And like so many yeah. people are just like, yeah, through this weird streaming algorithm, this song landed on my lap yeah. and I was going through a breakup and it was like this cosmic thing. And now you're yeah. my favorite band. It's like, well, fucking A, well, man. I, I tell you what it was for me when streaming started when that model you know, began to be clearly like the thing and kind of where everything was headed, exactly corresponded to me getting to an age where I really wanted to get rid of all the clutter in my life. 
So I was like more, and it's funny because this, I was like the last guy to get a CD player, you know, just like <laughs> a CD player to like the late nineties or something. Cause I only had CDs for a couple of years. So I, I had no real emotional attachment to that format, you know, in the way that I did and maybe do with vinyl, because that's the thing that I grew up listening to. Um, and you know, cassette tapes always sounded shitty. So who gives a fuck about that? But, um, but so the, so when the streaming thing came in, it was like, perfect man like pack up all these fucking cds and get them the fuck out of my clutter yep now i just have this thing in my pocket and i can listen to whatever i want whenever i want totally well dude i appreciate you so much taking time i have to do uh, i have an interview with american songwriter awesome so i'm gonna eat this butter chicken but dude i really like you man you're a really fucking cool guy yeah it's good talking to you brother i I hope we uh, get to hang out actually like you know not on zoom at some point here sooner than later (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it'd be fun fun to uh, play yeah. some guitars together. For sure. Yeah, All right, gotta, dude. You got to teach me some uh, some MMA at some point here. I will, dude. If you're boxing, it's easy. Awesome. If you already got the boxing, well, awesome. big love to you, man. Everyone check out uh, Chris Shiflett's solo stuff if you haven't listened to it. Um, and also the new Foo Fighters record, Medicine at Midnight, just dropped, and it's fucking awesome. So thanks so awesome. much, dude. Let's yeah, talk soon. Well. You yeah, too. Definitely. Bye. All right, everybody. Hope you dug that. Um, next week on the podcast, we have the lead singer of OAR, Mr. Mark Roberge. Um, our last shows before COVID we were with OAR. Mark's a super sweet dude. And um, fun fact about OAR, the dudes have been friends and been a band since they were in like fucking eighth grade. Um, and now they're all in their early 40s. And they've done it all, man, from high school gigs all the way up to you know selling out madison square garden so i'm really really pumped to um to talk with mark um and yeah i hope you guys dug this podcast and as always drink water be good to yourself and go fucking get some we'll see you next week